The Productive Woman, Episode 420. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to continue our recurring productive reading series, this time talking about some of my key takeaways from Tranquility by Tuesday, which is the newest book by Laura Vanderkam. You'll find more information and links in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 420. This episode is brought to you by Calm. When you think about self-care, what comes to mind? For me, self-care is about taking care of my body and mind, and specifically and especially managing the physical, mental, and emotional effects of the stress of a very demanding career. The Calm app is a key resource that helps me with that particular self-care objective. And that's why I'm so glad to be partnering this year with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to help give you the tools to improve the way you feel. With Calm, you can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations. You can improve focus with curated music tracks and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and for adults. They also offer their daily movement sessions specifically designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. And if you go to calm.com slash TPW, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription. New content is added every week, so you never get bored with the resources available to you through the Calm app on your smartphone or other devices. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to help take care of their minds, and I am happy to be one of them. Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. When it comes to managing stress, one of my biggest challenges is just calming down my racing mind and getting myself focused on being present in the moment. And Calm really does help with that. When I find myself tense and anxious about dealing with multiple urgent client demands, for instance, struggling to focus, it really does help for me uh, to open the Calm app and find one of their guided meditations or breathing exercises that are uh, specifically targeting stress-related stuff. Um, they have tons of options, lots of different lengths, everything from you know a minute or so to 30 minutes. But even if I can only spare a couple of minutes, there is something there that will help me slow down, breathe, and get back into the moment and can make a big difference uh, in how my body and mind are dealing with the stress of my career. And as I said, for listeners of The Productive Woman, Calm is offering that exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash tpw. So go to calm.com, that's C-A-L-M dot com slash T-P-W to get 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Once more, that's calm.com slash T-P-W. 
Okay, so this week we are, as I said, continuing our productive reading recurring series. In the past, if you've been with me for a while, you know we've talked about lessons and key takeaways I found in books by uh, Gary Keller, his his book, The One Thing, which I think is just a phenomenal book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, um, some of Brene Brown's books, Courtney Carver's wonderful Soulful Simplicity, uh, Jeff Sanders' book, The Free Time Formula, and James Clear's wonderful Atomic Habits, Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt, Attention Management by Maura Neville Thomas, The Minimalist Home by Joshua Becker, Greg McEwen's book Effortless, and Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism. Uh, and then most recently, we talked about uh, Dominique Soxie's book Life Makeover. I'll have links to those episodes in the show notes in case you're looking for some insights and maybe some books to read. I recommend all of these books. They're all very good. This week, I'm sharing some of my most important takeaways from Laura Vanderkam's newest book, which just came out a couple weeks ago, uh, and it's called Tranquility by Tuesday. So who is Laura Vanderkam? You probably already know who she is. You probably have read one or more of her books or maybe listened to her podcast. Um, But in case you don't know, her bio on the book cover flap says this, Laura Vanderkam is the author of several best-selling time management and productivity books, including The New Corner Office, Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Fortune. She's the host of the Before Breakfast podcast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Uh, She also was our guest a few years ago on episode 217 when she and I talked about being intentional with time, and I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. I really enjoyed talking with her and got a lot of uh, great inspiration out of that conversation. And furthermore, her book Off the Clock was our TPW Book Club selection back in August of 2018. So that's a little bit about who Laura is. Why I read this book, well, I've read several of her previous books and enjoyed them immensely. I always get a lot out of them. I like her very sort of fact-based approach. Uh, All of her books are based, or a lot of what she writes is based on time logs that she's kept and that she's read of other people's. um, And, you know, she brings a lot of factual stuff into it uh, that helps us kind of understand how we use our time. I also follow her on Instagram. And when she posted about this book's upcoming release, it just sounded so relevant to what has been on my mind lately about peaceful productivity. So as soon as I read her post about it, I pre-ordered the book and then I received it a couple of weeks ago when it was released. And I immediately set aside other things I was reading and read this straight through. Just a lot of really great stuff in it. 
On the front flap of the book cover, it describes a little bit of what the book is about, uh, where it says, when time management expert Laura Vanderkam hears, how do I get more done? She knows that what we're really asking is, how do I accomplish the tasks I need to get done while also finding time for the things that I love? Over the course of her career, Vanderkam has learned that fundamentally we want to enjoy our time. Hacks for getting more tasks done faster won't help us get there. To find happiness in each day's hours, we need sustainable, resilient strategies for building joy and possibility into our daily routines. Uh, and that, you know, to me, that was a very appealing description and really something I wanted to learn more about. The book is called Tranquility by Tuesday, and the subtitle is Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. And the book is described as a step-by-step guide to making time for what matters most. And the cover says she shares nine rules for calming the chaos so you can live a happier, richer life. And who among us doesn't want that? I, you know, the, the just the description of the book was enough to get m- me ordering it. So the book has an introductory section and then several chapters. And in the introductory section, she talks a little bit about the hectic pace that so many of us live at in this 21st century world and how simply managing it all, sort of keeping the circus plate spinning isn't enough. It's not enough for us to just sort of get all the stuff done. She describes in that introduction a feeling that I think many of us can relate to when she says, you can keep the plate spinning with your calendars and your planners. You're very good at that. But the performance can consume so much effort that it is easy to become aggravated about little things. Life can feel like a slog. Years can slip through your fingers, disappearing into a general sense of distress or fatigue over spending too much brain power worrying about each day's logistics. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Uh, I've had conversations with different women, and we've had conversations in in Productive Woman Masterminds about the, the frustration of just feeling like you're just making it from one day to the next, just trying to keep keep all the plates spinning, keep everything, everybody where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And, and you kind of never get beyond just getting through it. And based on her years of researching time management and talking with people about their schedules and their struggles, uh, Laura says, fundamentally, people want to know how to enjoy whatever time they have on this planet. They want to stop feeling like they're either racing a against the clock or wishing time away. And again, I think a lot of us can relate to that statement. She notes that often we're just thinking about or wishing for a vacation or a break or waiting for some future stage of life, thinking that things will be better then. But she says, life is not going to be less hectic next week. Life probably won't be less hectic next year. We have to make time for what matters now. We need practical, straightforward strategies to make that happen. And, you know, when I read that, I went back and read the introduction again after I'd finished reading the book. And I thought, you know, really, that's what this book is about, is providing those practical, straightforward strategies to help us 
make time now, today, for the things that matter to us instead of waiting for some future calmer date that may never come. So the title of the book hints at its objective, which is to help us achieve tranquility even in the midst of a full and even busy life. And as she defines it, tranquility is the state of being serene and peaceful, of being free from agitation. And, and she goes on to say that tranquility doesn't have to wait until we can, you know, get away to some mountain retreat away from everyday life. Instead, she says, the goal is tranquility, even when life is complicated, challenging, and occasionally chaotic. So that's the goal, the goal of this book. And I think a goal for all of us to shoot for, it's a lofty goal, certainly, and one that really speaks to my heart, wanting to be peaceful and tranquil, even when life is kind of chaotic. And so in this book, she identifies and and she introduces it in the introduction, nine key strategies that she has found from studying the schedules of people who are achieving that sort of goal and, and that she has applied in her own life. The book will elaborate on these, and so she just lists them out in the introduction. And those nine strategies, or she refers to them as the nine rules, are number one, give yourself a bedtime. Number two, plan on Fridays. Number three, move by 3 p.m. Number four, three times a week is a habit. Number five, create a backup slot. Number six, one big adventure, one little adventure. Number seven, take one night for you. Number eight, batch the little things. And number nine, effortful before effortless. All of these, she has a chapter about each of them and they're just, she has so much good stuff in there and about how they can make our life better and how we can make ourselves a life that is effective and productive and tranquil, even when things are are chaotic in our lives. And so in the introduction also, she describes what she calls the Tranquility by Tuesday project, in which she enlisted volunteers who would commit to applying these rules, one rule for a week, for nine weeks, and then give her feedback. And she kind of described how all that works. And then she recommends reading the book through once to familiarize yourself with the rules and then go back through it to apply the rules in order. She says you can either layer them on week by week. So you start with one the first week and then week two you add rule two and so on. Or you can make a longer project about it by going month by month instead. So you would uh, work on implementing rule one for the first month and then the second month uh, add rule two and so on. Uh, She does say that applying them in order is important because they build on one another. And so that's kind of, she sets the book up in the introduction. And then after that, she devotes one chapter to each of the nine rules or strategies and has broken the book into three sections. So part one of the book is titled Calm the Chaos and features the first three rules. So remember, those were give yourself a bedtime, plan on Fridays, and move by 3 p.m. Um, then 
part two is titled Make Good Things Happen. Um, Also, she describes it as habits for doing more of what matters. And in that, she discusses rules four through seven, which are three times a week is a habit, create a backup slot, one big adventure, one little adventure, and take one night for you. And then finally, part three, titled Waste Less Time, focuses on the last two rules, which were batched the little things and effortful before effortless. And so each chapter, each of those nine chapters is structured in kind of the same way. First, she explains what she means by the rule, why it matters, how it affects our our productivity and our tranquility, and kind of a guide for how to apply it. And then after that, she briefly discusses the experiences of the participants in the Tranquility by Tuesday project. Uh, and, And this is really a useful thing that she's put in there because it gives us some examples of people trying to apply this. Uh, And so their experiences include any concerns they had about whether they thought the rule would, would work for them, how they applied it, any obstacles they faced and what strategies they used for overcoming them. And then finally their results, including kind of how they felt about the rule at the end of the week. So that's kind of how the chapter goes. And then she has a couple pages where she offers what she calls the next step, which is a further tweak or strategy for after you've implemented the rule or for those who perhaps already apply that rule. So she gives you something else you can do that kind of takes it the next step and ends each chapter with a your turn section with a bunch of really helpful planning questions to help you implement the rule, followed by a few implementation questions to ask yourself after you've tried that rule for a week. So it's just a few questions to kind of get your mind going of how you could implement it into your your life for that week, and then the, the sort of evaluation questions that come after the week. And Having now read the whole book, I am definitely looking forward to going back and applying the rules using her planning questions. And I think it's going to be really helpful to me. So that's the basic structure of the book and the kind of the big picture, what it covers. And I wanted to spend a little time sharing some of my key takeaways and quotes Uh, favorite quotes from the book. And there's so much I could say about this book that it just was, is a very, very useful, inspiring, but also very practical book. And so the first kind of key takeaway for me from the book was just the simplicity of the approach and the importance of one rule or strategy building on another. By simplicity, I mean, there are only nine strategies or rules and each of them is pretty simple to implement, although not necessarily easy because we all have obstacles to overcome, including our own mindset and the resistance that you know may come internally. And she does spend a fair amount of time in each chapter kind of identifying where that resistance might pop up, what obstacles we might face, and, and offering ideas and strategies for dealing with that. And so I like that it's simple and that there's only nine of them. And also the order of them is important and taking them together and following them in order, they can help us create lives that matter as we each define it for ourselves. 
So she says, in describing the book herself, she says, the first section focuses on how to calm the chaos by building habits that support well-being. Remember, these are the habits or rules of give yourself a bedtime, plan on Fridays, and move by 3 p.m. That's move your body. And those are targeting or supporting well-being is the way she describes it. She goes on to say, in time, these habits also help us become strategic about our days, our weeks, and our hours. With these rules in place, life feels a lot more doable. The second section, she says, builds on that foundation by showing how to make good things happen. And as a reminder, these are the rules of three times a week is a habit, create a backup slot, one big adventure, one little adventure, and take one night for you. Uh, she goes on to say, after thinking about what we'd like in this, this second section, uh, what we'd like to expand in our lives, we create a workable plan for when we can do these things. We build resilient schedules that allow for life's complexities. We find ways to make each week more memorable, and we find space for a joyful commitment apart from work and family obligations. Taken together, she says, these rules will make life feel less like a slog. Each week becomes something to look forward to. We also develop the serenity that comes from knowing we will make progress on our goals, even when life doesn't go as planned. We have the power to build the lives we want. And I found that really um, a comforting kind of, uh, and really encouraging. So uh, that's kind of a, like I said, what the first key takeaway f- for me from this book is how the approach is so simple, um, although not always easy, and how important it is to let one rule or strategy build on the one that came before. My second takeaway is a little more kind of specific, and that is just a reminder of the importance of sleep to a peacefully productive life. Um, The very first rule is to give yourself a bedtime. And she kind of goes into why and how to do that. The main reason, as she puts it, sleep is foundational for all other good habits. Fatigue makes it harder to think strategically about the future or to make good choices with time. Being adequately rested boosts performance on cognitively difficult tasks. We are less distracted. It is simply easier to be productive when you've gotten enough sleep. And that's why this rule comes first. She talks about her analysis of thousands of time logs over the years and what they show about the amount of sleep most people get which she says, surprisingly, the logs show objectively that most people are getting enough sleep versus their perception of how much sleep they get and offers some explanations for that disconnect. And she describes a very simple four-step process for setting and implementing a bedtime for yourself and reminds us that the important thing is to be consistent. You know, she encourages us to go to bed at around the same time every night, even on the weekends. She says, um, going to bed on time is simple, but it is life-changing, both for the mindset shift it represents about the shape of a day and for the more obvious reason that being well-rested makes even tough days feel doable. So, you know, that's my second takeaway is just a reminder of that. And, And, you know, I've talked before about how I have a difficult time falling asleep and calm sleep stories really help me with that. but. 
sometimes I stay up too late because I'm trying to do other things uh, and I end up staying up far later than I should. And so I really, you know, I see the value of this as being the first rule. My third takeaway is, uh, for me personally, a renewed commitment to making time on Fridays to plan the coming week. She offers a really good reason and for why Fridays is the time to do this, um, and I won't go into all the details there, but she makes a, a good case for it and advises us that when we're doing our Friday planning, we're not planning this immediate weekend. So if I'm doing planning uh, this Friday, I'm not going to be planning the weekend I'm about to go into, but we're planning the coming Monday through Sunday period. So we're we're kind of getting out in front of things. She suggests creating a three-category priority list for the coming week, those categories being career, relationships, and self, and making a short list of things you'd like to accomplish next week in each of those areas. So this is the starting point. And this was a shift for me because I've always said, you know, you start by looking at your calendar and figuring what do you have planned for the coming week and what do you need to prepare for it? Well, we're gonna, she, she recommends doing that, but that's not where she starts. She starts by looking at those three areas of your life, career, relationships, and self, and identifying a short list of things you'd like to accomplish in each of those areas. So her questions she suggests are, what would you most like to do professionally? What would you like to do to nurture your relationships with friends, family, or community members? What would you like to do to advance your own health, spiritual development, or happiness? So we're looking at those things first and identifying just a couple of things in each area uh, that you want to make time for in the coming week. And she encourages us to keep this list short to, as she puts it, focus on those aspirations that would most make you feel like you'd had a wonderful week. And she urges the importance of doing this step first, identifying those key aspirations for next week that would make the week excellent. Then look at what's already on your calendar or to-do list for the week, those things that need to get done, even if they're you know, not top priority or less fun. Um, maybe um, make sure you know what your commitments are, what logistics need to be worked out, et cetera. And because you've identified those high priority things that you want to do in those three areas, she says, strategize ways to ignore minimize or outsource anything you'd like to spend less time on, especially to make room for those aspirations that you identified in the first step. I really love this approach. And this is one of the rules I'm most looking forward to implementing in my own life. I especially like her next step thing uh, for this rule, which is to make a list of 100 dreams, which she describes as a hundred things you'd like to experience or have in your life. Not a to-do list, but just a hundred things that you'd like to experience or have in your life. Uh, and these are your dreams that you're going to maybe start finding ways to, to make time for. Uh, my fourth takeaway from this book was just the concept of letting go of, of the all or nothing mindset I've always had. I've always been one, you got to go all in or don't do it at all. Where she says more than once in the book, 
this sort of mantra of something is always better than nothing. Uh, She talks about this in the discussion of rule three, which is move by 3 p.m. She says the move part of this rule can be any sort of movement. Most people walk, but push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, kettlebell swings, and so forth are options. Chasing kids around the yard or pushing a stroller counts. Traditional exercise such as running or a fitness class is wonderful if it works, but if it doesn't, there's no need to get sweaty enough to require a shower afterward. So it's just about movement, and it doesn't even have to be a lot of movement, but just sometime before 3 p.m. each day, move your body for a few minutes. She points out that people spend a lot of time and money trying to make themselves feel more happy and alert. 10 minutes of physical activity will achieve that goal almost every time and will do so for free. So this concept of something is always better than nothing uh, is also in a way a a basis of rule four, uh, which is the rule that three times a week is a habit. My personal inclination has always been that any good thing should be done every day or nearly every day or there's no point. That's been my mindset about exercise, about writing, about other things. But she says things don't have to happen daily, nor do they have to happen at the same time every day in order to count in our lives. She says thinking three times a week is a habit and remembering that a week has 168 hours to play with is a simple shift that changes our mindset from scarcity to abundance. And then she also says when we remember that three times a week is a habit, we approach our 168 hours a week with a sense of possibility. If we wish to add something meaningful to our lives, the time is probably there. And I I love this, this, uh, again, letting go of this all or nothing and realizing that something is always better than nothing and we can fit it in in little bits and that still counts. My fifth takeaway from the book is, has been just, I think, inspiration to build into my kind of mundane life, things to look forward to. And this comes from rule six, which is one big adventure, one little adventure. And so her her, the gist of the rule is that each week you should, on your Friday when you're planning, plan one big adventure and one little adventure. And as she describes it, a big adventure means something that requires a few hours. Think half a weekend day. A little adventure could take just an hour or so and fit on a lunch break or a weekday evening, as long as it's something out of the ordinary. And she says to qualify as an adventure, something needs to be enjoyable awe-inspiring, meaningful, or at least generate a really good story for parties. And so I love that idea. The point of the rule is to plan things on purpose that will make each week memorable. As she says, we don't ask where did all the time go when we remember where the time went because we did something meaningful with it. Uh, She reminds us that these adventures should be things you genuinely want to do, or at least want to have done. And she says, seconds tick forward with the steady beat of a metronome, and yet we experience time in vastly changing ways depending on what we've done with it. Um, And that's all the sort of the reasoning behind this rule to plan things to look forward to. And she 
list three benefits of the rule. Uh, one of them being to plan two adventures each week, we have to plan our weeks. And this, of course, reinforces that rule two of planning. The second benefit is that this habit builds regular doses of anticipation into our mental landscapes, and we all need things to look forward to. And finally, uh, the third benefit, she says, is we start to see that even small bits of time can make memories. And the chapter on this rule has a ton of, of great suggestions that really can get your mind going on ways to, to implement this rule in your life. But she encourages us, of course, to focus on adventures that are possible rather than those that aren't. Maybe you can't take a week to hike through, you know, the mountains of, of the subcontinent or something. But you can do, you know, take a hike through a local park one afternoon or something like that. This is definitely one I want to implement. And I've even already talked with Mike about this because, you know, we've talked at various times about how we don't really ever go anywhere or do anything. We just go to work or, you know, I work here at home and, and we hang out at home. Now that's partly because we like our home and we like hanging out here, but it's partly just inertia. We, you know, we'll talk various times about taking a trip or even just going to see a site somewhere near home. And then we just don't do it. And so I love the way in this chapter she offers inspiration and suggestions for getting past that obstacle of inertia to plan and actually follow up on adventures, even if the adventure is just, you know, we meet up for lunch during the workday one day of the week. So her very broad definition of an adventure is just something out of our ordinary routine. And so I'm looking forward to um, getting creative about the kinds of things we can do there. My next uh, takeaway is, I guess, summarized best as the crucial importance of being very intentional about how we use and how we waste our time so we can consciously and purposefully make time for what matters to us. And she has this chapter about where she's talking about wasting time. Her definition of wasted time is this. It's when we spend minutes, hours, even days mindlessly on things we don't care about. And that's a very different thing, she says, than, you know, maybe hanging out, uh, laying out in the backyard in the sun reading a book. That's not wasted time by her definition if we've enjoyed it. But when we're using time on mindlessly on things we don't care about... Uh, as examples, she says, we chop up what could be an hour of focused creative time by answering an email that could have waited. Or we fritter away what could have been 20 minutes lying in a hammock, reading the responses to the comment of a middle school acquaintance posted on someone else's breakfast photo. She says, our lives will end someday, and here we are, letting time circle down the drain, doing things that don't matter at all. That really spoke to me. Life is precious. Uh, it may seem like we've got all the time in the world, but when we are wasting time, that is spending it on mindlessly on things we don't care about, we are, we are wasting a resource we can't get back. 
And so the last two rules that she has uh, in the book are about, as she puts it, how to waste less time on things that do not deserve nearly as much time as we give them. And these two rules intentionally come in the book after the rules about making time for what does matter. And I thought that was interesting. As she puts it, while it is far more important to fill life with the good stuff first, by compressing the space available for the small tasks of life, we can create more of a sense of time abundance. By changing the mindless habits of leisure time, we can spend this time in more enjoyable ways. We might even start to feel like we have more free time than we thought we did. And feeling like we have more free time can completely change the stories we tell ourselves about our lives. I really like that. But she gives a caveat. She notes um, that even with these shifts, it is impossible to spend time perfectly. Everybody wastes time. It is the human condition. Perfection is not the goal. Progress is, and every minute spent more enjoyably or more meaningfully is a little victory. And I really like that. This this really resonates with those earlier concepts that I mentioned, my takeaway about letting go of that all or nothing mindset and recognizing that something is always better than nothing. It, we don't have to perfectly spend our time to have a meaningfully productive life, to make a life that matters. If we take advantage of small bits of time and progress towards using more minutes meaningfully. Rule eight, batch the little things, is about that compressing the time available for little stuff. Those mundane administrative tasks that can eat up our days if we let them. She knows though that most of those things don't actually take that much time to do. And she says, we often spend more time going over these tasks in our minds agonizing over their existence and expanding their mental real estate than actually doing them. And I I kind of nodded when I read that. That is so true. I immediately thought of a couple small tasks that I have put off for weeks, kind of stewing about them. They're hanging in the back of my head. I mean, they're on my list, but still I'm, you know, stewing about the fact that I haven't done them, even though each one would actually take no more than just a few minutes. So we waste more time worrying about these things than doing them. She calls these things schedule clutter, and I really like that term. And she points out the reason we often let them eat into our time that could be better used for more meaningful things is, as she says, even if these tasks are annoying, they don't take much effort. And once finished, they provide the satisfaction of being obviously done. We can check them off the list, right? She says, many of the important things in life, such as nurturing our family relationships or advancing our careers, are not so obviously done. Um, And she's right. Those things are ongoing. You, You can't ever check them off the list. Um, She says they deserve time and lots of it, but the rewards are not so immediately obvious as checking something off a list. And so insidiously, the lure of easy accomplishment with the little tasks can chop up the day and make people feel like they're making progress, even though when it comes to what matters, they are not. 
And so the solution to this schedule clutter and letting it eat up time that we could better use for the things we actually care about is rule eight, which is batch the small things. Specifically, she says, designate a small chunk of time to tackle those things that must be done but aren't your top priorities. This could be an afternoon half hour during the workday or a bigger blast on Fridays or a 90-minute chore, errand, or personal task blitz on one weekend day. And she says, when a small task occurs to you or pops up on your inbox, don't just do it. So don't let it interrupt your focus time, your priority time. Um, But instead, she says, put it on the list for your batch processing time and tackle all of these small tasks then. So I like this idea of setting aside whether it's 30 minutes one weekday or a chunk of Friday or whatever it might be. Uh, The benefits of doing this, she says, are it forces you to prioritize. uh, And the way she puts it, and this is so true, tasks expand to fill the available space. When we give them less time, they take less time. In addition, this rule keeps little tasks from always being an option. That is, it discourages us from interrupting or procrastinating on the important things with the excuse of, well, I'm just going to take the air of this little thing first as we seek that immediate reward of crossing something off the list. So I like this idea of designating a small chunk of time to do these kind of little things. So those are kind of my key takeaways personally. As far as the key message of the book, I think she says it best this way. If you take nothing else from this book, I hope you remember this. Success is possible even in the midst of a complex and occasionally chaotic life. You do not need to wait for some less hectic future time to become the person you want to be. With a different perspective and a focus on doing what you can, you can be that person now. And I love this that she says kind of toward the end. Ultimately, there are no prizes given for enjoying your life the least. And there are no prizes given for being too busy to get what matters done. If you like how you spend your time, great. If you don't like it, change it. So a few th- final thoughts, I guess. There is, there is so much more to this book than what I've mentioned here. This is a book I will read again. What I like best about it is it's so actionable. She provides lots of resources, including step-by-step processes and great questions to ask yourself that make implementing these rules into your life totally doable just a little bit at a time. I love what she says in the conclusion. These habits take effort to build into our lives, but once they become part of the background narrative, they can calm the chaos and help us make time for what matters, even as life's circus continues. It is folly to hope the circus will slow down anytime soon. These habits can help us enjoy life as it is now, and what seems hard at first can, over time, start to feel easy. I highly, highly recommend this book. And I will have a link to it in the show notes, along with links to some of her other books that I've read and enjoyed. Uh, This book in particular, Tranquility by Tuesday by Laura Vanderkam, is well worth reading and implementing. I've actually 
personally toyed with the idea of finding a small group of women who want to you know, read through the book and go through it with me together, each of us sort of working on each rule at the same time, uh, encouraging each other and providing accountability and motivation. You might want to consider the same. Uh, get a friend or two to, uh, to go through this process with you. And uh, I'd love to hear what you think about it. And so, you know, these are my thoughts on the book. I wonder, have you read the book yet? It's it's only been out for a few weeks by the at the time I'm recording this. If you read it, what did you think? Are you implementing any of the rules she outlines? Are you going through that process? I'd love it if you'd share your takeaway with us. And and you can do that by sharing your questions, your thoughts, your book takeaways in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 420 or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. Even better is uh, if you are a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that would be a great place to continue this conversation, discuss the book, uh, maybe find a person or two to to kind of be your, your implementation buddy. Uh, and and we can uh, all build these things into our life as we are working to make a life that matters. As always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can do that by emailing your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Remember, for listeners of this podcast, Calm is offering that offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash tpw. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash tpw for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something worthwhile in it. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter.